from the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Increasingly, gadgets and software are shaping our lives, but like many other things, the tech space is somewhat exclusive of black and brown Americans. So how do we make tech more inclusive? We're going to talk today with several Detroiters and Metro Detroiters who are trying to change that. That's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us today. There's no question that technology really shapes our existence, our very existence these days. The way we communicate, the way we hang out, our jobs, it's all shifted dramatically because of the expanded computational power that many of us hold right in our palms most of the day. But this rise of the computers didn't happen in a vacuum. This world was created by people who had a certain amount of power, a certain level of education and accesses to things like resources and money that they then built up. And that means the tech field Industries that include things like computer science, artificial intelligence, and software engineering, they've all been disproportionately shaped by a majority, white male founders and employees. And that really matters because in addition to shaping our habits and our interactions, these tools also shape our culture. As our lives continue to migrate into a virtual space, we are shaped by people who often don't understand the needs and behaviors of many different communities. Take the fact that chat GPT detectors often falsely penalize students who don't speak English. Or think about how artificial intelligence facial recognition software frequently discriminates against African-Americans. The truth is when we create internet technologies with only specific groups in mind from only certain perspectives, those same spaces will often reflect the inequalities that are baked into our everyday non-virtual spaces. They call on the history of division and inequality that sits at the bedrock of our country. So how do we counter that? How do we create tech work environments and technologies that aren't made exclusively for or from the perspective of white males? How can the tech field open itself up to women and to people of color? That's where we begin the conversation today. How do we open up tech? How do we make it more inclusive than it has been so far? In Detroit, one of the largest majority African-American cities in this country, people are already working on this problem. Johnny Turnage is the founder of Black Tech Saturdays and the co-founder and CEO of EvenScore, a donation platform that makes grassroots fundraising easier. Black Tech Saturdays began this year with the intention of creating community spaces for black tech workers who most of the time find themselves in isolating work environments. And this community has been growing really fast. But Johnny isn't alone. 
Jessica Vaughn is a software engineer, tech educator, and a founder of Detroit Black Tech and TrainX.ai, both nonprofits created to remove barriers to African Americans who are trying to access the tech industry. A little later in the show, we're going to hear from another nonprofit leader about how she's trying to support minorities to get involved in the STEM and STEAM while they're still in K-12 school. But before we get there, we want to talk about what the tech industry looks like, what it looks like in Detroit, and how African Americans in the space are working to change it, to expand it and make it more inclusive. Johnny Turnage, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, good morning. Glad to be here. And Jessica Vaughn, also, welcome to Detroit Today as well. Yeah, I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, Johnny, I'm going to start with you. Let's talk about Black Tech Saturdays. What is it? What does it look like? When did it start? And why did you create this? Yeah, yeah. So, Black Tech Saturdays is a weekly meetup that we have at New Life at Michigan Central that actually started with a few people we were working on my app and finishing it. And I work with a lot of other founders and we kind of just come together to support each other. And back in March, it was just five of us meeting in a conference room to help each other share grant resources, just information for pitches. And uh, it kept growing. And I think we get to about a dozen people. And the team at New Lab was like, hey, we noticed on the security cameras you guys have just been sneaking people in what's going on and you don't have to sneak them in. And that's when I was like, look, we've been planning to actually figure out where we were going to gather because back in February, we had this huge event changing the narrative. Like we have to change the perspectives for black people in tech in Detroit and just Michigan. And they were like, look, tell us what you need. We want to support it. And we went from that five people in the conference room to on Saturday, we probably have about a hundred people out most Saturdays and, Last weekend, we had our Juneteenth celebration with about 200 people just celebrating tech culture. But the real energy you feel, my background's in faith-based community organizing. So it's like a combination of a each one teach one kind of community organizing <laughs> meeting with a little bit of like a church service vibe where we share stories, we share resources, and we're like really encouraging. How do you, in true tech ecosystems around the country, they operate in a spirit of abundance. Mm -hmm. And the way I figured out how to bring that here is to just do that. So I share my investors, I share my mentors and practicing that culture to help kind of help pull people forward. Yeah. So uh, for people who maybe don't work in the tech space and of course for people who aren't African-American, give us a sense of what you get and what the other folks who are attending are getting from this and why it strikes such a contrast to maybe your daily work life. Uh, what is it? What is it about this space that 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 builds you up and enriches you? Yeah. So I think the first part is the culture we've created. When you come in there, there's lots of love. There's lots of community. But I we stage it. Like when you come in, there are questions to make it more welcoming. I've noticed that between founders trying to figure it out and tech people we're usually in spaces where we don't get to speak up and use our voice. So we really encourage that. So the first 30 minutes when you come to Black Tech Saturday, it's just relationship building, not networking, just say what you're doing, all of that. But like, tell us who you are, tell us where you're from, tell us what you need. Because we realized in the first few weeks of Black Tech Saturday, people started to get jobs, people building companies started to find the staff they needed. And it was like, oh, this is like become a space to kind of get what you need. Mm. And like programmingly, the first Saturdays, we bring in a speaker to talk about a specific topic. So every month through the rest of the year is a different theme, prepping founders specifically to get ready for some of the investor events coming in in the fall, but also trying to like let people dream of what it looks like to see themselves in tech. So always trying to give a pedestal to entrepreneurs who are doing it, tech people in the tech industry who are already there to show here's what I'm doing. Here's my journey. And I think giving people the ability to like learn from the story and we do a great deal of celebrating and we just kind of practice what we preach. If I'm like telling people they should be sharing and helping, I spend that first 30 minutes trying to talk to as many people as possible to see what do they need right now and how can we get them that? Yeah. Cause just doing a lot of in-person connecting. Yeah. Uh, a, a really cool detail about, Black Tech Saturdays is also that it is at New Lab at Michigan Central, which is the old book 
depository uh, that uh, that opened recently. It's it's a site of the rebirth of that place, uh, which has been you know dormant in Detroit for such a long time, and it's kind of cool to think about uh, this new opening up of the idea of tech to more inclusivity uh, being on on that site. So so it's uh, yeah. it's really cool that way as well. Yeah. yeah. If I could add, I think one more special thing about it is I learned when I was a young youth organizer. It's hard to dream of what you haven't seen. So part of why we love it being there is we walk people through the building. We have people coming as young as five, as old as like 70. I'm like, this is what innovation could look like, but we can do this. Mm. And here's how. Here are people who are doing it. So we have the some of the startups who work in a new lab, they come out and you talk to them. And they're there to pitch, like, here's what we're looking for for jobs. Here's how I'm doing it. And then you get to meet people like Ron Butler, who's a former Detroit firefighter but he's building a battery company. <laughs> and I'm like, his story of that, and I'm like, I love for people to see that because when young people see that, when we see that, you know it's possible because you can see yourself doing it. So always trying to like showcase, this is what we can do, and we're a part of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jessica, I want to bring you into the conversation here. Uh, let's talk first about how you got into the tech field. And then let's talk about the work that you're doing to, again, expand the space, make it more inclusive of us. Yeah, you know, I wanted to start by saying, I mean, Johnny kind of hit it on the head where it's like, you need to see people doing things so that you can kind of imagine yourself doing it. So like it's it can be hard for people to imagine that because, you know, like you said, if you have an area that's dominated by a specific group of people, then they have a certain kind of mindset, right? But for me being, I'm a black girl from Detroit. I went to, you know, DPS, graduated from DPS, and I've always been good at math and science. And yet for some odd reason that I still haven't figured out to this day, <laughs> I didn't know what an engineer was until I was like 22 in college. Hmm. And there was something about just kind of finding out that there was this whole world that I had no idea about that really kind of like, disturbed me in a way and so um so, that's so, really been so oh, I, wanna, go ahead. I wanna stop you there that, that that's a really interesting revelation you literally didn't know that there was i didn't know what an engineer was like yeah. I, honestly um you know because i've always been good at math and science so when i was getting right um i graduated from renaissance high school so you know it's it's taught to us that we're going to go to college and we're going to pursue a career mm -hmm. but i didn't know what to do um, every time I would ask people like, oh, I'm, you know, I want what kind of what should I do when I go to college? They're like, you should be a math teacher. That was the only thing. And it's nothing wrong with education. Obviously, I do a lot to teach now. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was just that no one said engineer. No one even said doctor. No one said um, computer scientist. No one said like there was just so many things that I really I really honestly had no clue about. And um, especially as a youth, you know, you depend on the people around you. Um, but at the same time, I think uh, sometimes the limitations, too, is if the folks around you don't have access or exposure to that world, hmm. they may not even know what direction to point you in. So I think the most that a lot of people knew was, hey, you know, math teacher, because that's the most that they had ex been exposed to. Um, so when I was in college, about a senior in college, actually, I was a vocal performance major, kind of decided that. Um, I really missed math. Um, I had been minoring in math, but I didn't know what to do with it. And at the time, my sorority sisters were like, why don't you like be an engineer? <laughs> Multiple of them were majoring in engineering. Huh. And I was like, well, <laughs> I don't even know what an engineer is. Right. So I, I kind of got to talk to advisors and things like that. And I ended up going from vocal performance to mechanical engineering. And everybody was looking at me like, why would you do that? You know, but um, to me, it felt like I was moving in the right direction, which I really loved. But I still had a lot of issues like financially, just having the right support I needed at the university. Um, and at some point, I also started working with um, a coding boot camp here in Detroit through mm -hmm. Grow Detroit Young Talent Program or GDYT, which I highly, highly, um, you know, support that program. And um, that's when I kind of got access to what like the tech space was like. And this is probably around 2014, 2015-ish. So coding boot camps are now starting to become somewhat of a viable option, even though most people didn't understand what they were or if it was like a legitimate thing, you know, we're still trying to get companies to acknowledge coding boot camps at the time. Um, but I saw that people were able to 
pretty much transformed their careers in three months by just, you know, learning how to code and developing a portfolio and things like that. So um, when everything was just not going well with the university and trying to get the finances I needed, I'm like, you know what, I'm like, I'll take matters into my own hands type of person. So I was like, I know I can go get my, you know, certification in programming and go and work as a software engineer without having to go through all the hoops that I have that I have to jump through all the time. Yeah. So that was kind of how I jumped into the industry. Um, and I've always been one to, you know, volunteer and um, try to teach different STEM skills. So it was kind of natural for me that as I was you know, embarking on that journey, I took a lot of time to participate in events, um, host meetups and and teach classes for other beginners that were, you know, had a similar background to me. Yeah. So let's talk uh, a little more about the nonprofit uh, that uh, you're running, Detroit Black Tech, and what that what that uh, seeks to accomplish. Uh, but but what it means in the context of the story you just told about not being exposed even to the kinds of opportunities that exist in engineering and and other tech spaces. Yeah, DBT. Uh, So Detroit Black Tech really, it it has that same um, underlying uh, idea, which is that we found, you know, for one, that a lot of us that are working in tech that are, you know, black and brown, we might be the literally the only ones in our company, honestly, and it's very isolating. And so we were really seeking to have a way for more of us to be able to come together. So different programmers, um, you know, tech managers, it didn't really matter what your role was. Um, just being able to have that space where, you know, you can have people that you can have conversations with, even have those conversations that you don't feel comfortable to ask in your team space. Because to be quite honest, sometimes, you know, especially when you are the quote unquote only one, it's hard to want to put yourself out there in a certain way where you feel like you might produce a negative light on, you know, your community. So sometimes you don't want to ask a question that seems like it might be a dumb question, but you want to ask it in a, in a, in a safe space, you know, or you want to be around people that kind of understand where you're coming from. So uh, we started Detroit Black Tech um, back in 2018, and that was really our goal. Um, and our real focus is highlighting the developers that we have in our community, showing how you know awesome our developers are and how talented our developers are, even showing Detroit as a place where hmm. tech can live and thrive because you know a lot of people feel like oh they i don't know you know we still have the brain drain problem right people feel like they have to leave michigan in order to go pursue these opportunities um and so um, one of our big fundamentals though is not just the exposure but making sure our community has access to the knowledge that you might be missing out on so those emerging technologies, right? Those emerging trends, we realized back in 2018 that it's like, okay, it's fine that everybody's learning web development in a bootcamp, but why is nobody teaching like AI or machine learning concepts? Mm-hmm. Because that's going to be the thing that people need to know. And, you know, fast forward five years now, we're able to kind of get people to finally see like, hey, you know, remember we were talking about this like a while ago, right? We just, we don't want to be lagging behind as a community. We want our developers to be on the forefront and be able to stand out um, and be able to, you know, have those unique skills. So we focus a lot of our content around educating in that um, emerging technology space. Yeah, yeah. Okay, when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about opening up tech spaces to black and brown people, to women, people who have historically been pushed out of those spaces. Uh, We're going to keep our two guests. Also want to get going with you, the listeners, on the phones and on social. Call and tell us if you're somebody who's working in tech or wants to work in tech. How hard was it for you to get involved, to break through? Uh, What was the process like for getting a job in the industry? If you're a woman or a person of color, was the process made harder for you? 
because of your race or your gender? Is it harder to be in those spaces once you break through because there aren't lots of other folks like you? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. For news that impacts your community, music that moves your soul, and conversations that matter. W. D. E. T. Detroit's NPR station. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us. We're talking today about tech, the thing that drives so much of our lives, often from the palms of our hands these days. We're talking about the people who make all of those things, who make the gadgets, who develop the software, who drive the industry and then drive our lives with it. Is that available to people who are not white and male? Increasingly, uh, we are talking about how we open up the space around tech uh, to more people. Uh, we've got two great guests with us right now talking about this. Johnny Turnage is the founder of Black Tech Saturdays and the co-founder and CEO of Evenscore, a donation platform that makes grassroots fundraising easier. Also with us is Jessica Vaughn. She's a software engineer, tech educator, and nonprofit founder here in the city of Detroit. She is a co-creator of Detroit Black Tech and the creator of multiple initiatives such as TrainX.ai for educating adults in the field of tech as well as a YouTube channel that teaches people about tech. Uh, we want to hear from you as well while we have this conversation. What do you make of the tech sector and its inclusivity? Are you somebody who wants to work in tech and is maybe having a hard time breaking through. Maybe you already work in tech. We'd love to hear about the process of getting to the job that you have. If you're a woman or you're African-American, was the process harder than it should have been because of your race or your gender? 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we can work you into the conversation. Uh, we're going to start today with Alberta in Detroit. Alberta, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Stephen, for this opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I welcome to your guests my comment, and I hope they will respond. Right now, I'm feeling a bit disappointed in, how, in terms of how problematic this subject is that the lady, the young woman who was speaking, went to the premier high school in the city of Detroit. Mm. I mean, the creme de la creme of education, Renaissance High School, mm -hmm. says that she didn't have the guidance or the introduction. If, and I know she's undoubtedly telling the truth, but what does that mean for the other 60,000 Detroit public school students at these other high schools? If she didn't get it, no, they're not getting it, and that's a darn shame. Yeah, Alberta, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, I was shocked as well to hear uh, Jessica talk about her experience and and how late in her educational experience she came across the idea of of working in tech and the the kinds of opportunities that exist. Jessica, I, I, I'll give you a chance to talk just a little more about. Maybe your experience at, at Renaissance, which, as Alberta points out, is you know a high water mark in terms of education here in the city. It's a wonderful school. It produces uh, graduates who go on to do pretty amazing things. Why do you imagine that uh, that you weren't exposed more to these ideas while while you were there? 
Yeah, you know, I think there's probably a lot that could be maybe improved when it comes to like just the counseling overall. But my experience, um, and I don't want to be too much of a downer, but, you know, when I was growing up, I was always told you're going to go to Renaissance, right? I didn't even know until I was in eighth grade (laughs) that there was other schools to even go to, um, which was a good thing. But at the same time, when I got to Renaissance, I didn't realize 99 percent of my classmates already went to school together from K through eighth grade. Whereas I was coming from a typical neighborhood school, they all were, you know, coming from base pretty much. Um, And that was a shocker to me. But also it just I felt like I was a different type of student there. You know, um, a lot of my uh, classmates, they had parents with like prominent careers and things like that versus me coming from a single parent household where I was literally helping, (laughs) you know, us get by. Mm. So I just think my experience was very different. It was it was a culture shock for me because it was the first time I felt like in my city um, where I went to, you know, public schools that this kind of environment felt very different than what I was used to. So. Yeah. Um, I think there's probably more that could be done there, but, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but it, it's the reality that, like, I kind of was an outlier at my school, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Like, the high school I graduated from, only three people got into a school of choice versus a school like Bates, where most people just, that's just their their natural path. That's where they end up, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny, I wonder if, if you can talk about your, your K-12 and college experiences and how how it felt to be a a black kid who wanted to to be in in tech how soon did you know and and how much support did you find in those spaces for for what you wanted to do yeah and if i could say i actually i don't think i wanted to be in tech my background was in community organizing and i journeyed into tech more so it's 2020 george floyd is murdered and i actually had to ask myself how do I scale change? How do I make a bigger impact? And that was my journey into tech. I was introduced to it, but I wasn't exposed to it. And as I've gotten into it and learned so much, it's something that I wish was a more prominent pathway. Mm-hmm. Because as you really think to tech, especially being a tech founder, it's really about solving problems. And I think, you know, I grew up in Detroit. I was an army brat, so I moved around. So I've seen the world. And I'm like, there's so many problems that I think you see when you grow up with like, the unique backgrounds that I think all black people in Detroit have that we don't, we're not at the table to even use our voice to solve those problems. And that's a part of what I think is missing in tech. Yeah. The yeah. people who are dealing with the biggest problems aren't there, but I wasn't exposed to it. And I, it was a big learning journey. And I think I spent the last year talking to probably a couple of thousand people to learn through their experience, read as much as I could and surround myself with people who have different experience than myself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to read a couple Twitter comments before we go back to the phones. Big Neo says inclusion is the only way to have tech work for everybody. Facial recognition falsely IDs people of color because we are excluded from the development process. Unfortunately, diversity, equity, and inclusion are charged words and bring a certain ugliness out of some folks. Uh, Boomi on Twitter says, I work in tech and I'm one of potentially three people of color in my workplace. Uh, he says, I stick out like a sore thumb. Wow, uh, that's a that's a pretty stark uh, picture to draw there. Uh, Alberta, really appreciate your call and, and your comments uh, about, about schooling in the city and, and places like Renaissance. We gotta do better for sure uh, if we're gonna address this kind of, this kind of gap. Uh, let's go next to Lorenzo in Southfield. Lorenzo, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? Hey. So I'm uh, 22 and I work at a managed service provider MSP. And I just found it kind of interesting when I was like 20, uh, 19, when I kind of first started getting into it. Um, when I was about 18, I took a boot camp up to get badged. But when I was applying for entry-level position jobs, like help desk jobs, they're asking or requiring that I needed two, three years experience. How can I get experience in something that's entry level <laughs> on top of that? I didn't have, you know, it wasn't anyone that gave me the experience. You know, I had to go out and find the boot camp. You know, it wasn't anyone around me in my personal life that was able to, to provide me that information or that type of experience to even get into an entry level position. So how was I going to be able to do that? And luckily I found a way through that, through that door. And once I was through the door, it's been 
I've been in there since. But so, yeah, so Lorenzo, what what was the door? What did you find? Uh, I was able to to uh, someone accepted me. One of the uh, I kept applying. It took months and months. It took maybe eight months of me applying to different jobs just for someone to get an interview in. I took maybe five different interviews, and then one of uh, the employers uh, uh, let me in. And then once I stayed there, I stayed with that employer to get the experience for me to you know, go on and get the experience to have it on my resume, um, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lorenzo, really appreciate you calling and sharing that experience. Uh, Johnny Turnage, I, I want to come back to you. When I'm listening to Lorenzo, I guess it reminds me that one of the things we really need is more spaces that are owned and controlled by uh, African-Americans and and brown people and women to give those early experiences. When he's talking about that first chance, that first opportunity, often it, it, it comes from some place or some person who's like you. That's just a a natural way things kind of work. And because we don't have so many of those spaces, uh, it's one of the things that creates, uh, it creates that gap that we're talking about. Yeah, I would say you're absolutely right. And in my kind of journey of building even score and even Black Tech Saturdays, tech works so much off of relationships. And even the hard part is because we're not in a room to build the relationships it's it just works so differently and i'm like we need more black and brown companies that are giving those first opportunities because we understand the dynamics and you know you get people like one of my mentors is doug song and when you meet people Mm -hmm. who worked at dual security Mm -hmm. he gave a lot of people their first shot when they weren't maybe the furthest along engineer when they were pretty early in their journey because he understood that it's the culture growing into the role and that's tech Oftentimes, these places that say you need so many years of experience, you actually don't need that. You need somebody who has the energy, who wants to learn and can grow with the company. And a part of, like, for Detroit, I feel like we have an opportunity to reshape the narrative and show the world how it has to be done. Like, this is what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I do want to plug, we are identifying partners because we're going to be doing some, like, targeted hiring where we're bringing people who are hiring to kind of break that, break that, break that barrier a little bit because I've met people who you've been looking for a job for eight months doesn't make any sense yeah. when there are thousands of jobs in Detroit in the tech industry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's uh, go next to Levi in Southfield. Levi, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Hey. Can you hear me? I sure can. Are you there, Levi? Hello. Hey. Can you hear us? Okay, Levi, call us back. (laughs) There's something wrong with your phone there, bud. Let's go next to Jerry in Dearborn. Jerry, welcome to the show. Yes, all I want to say is uh, if if you're going after some coding jobs, you better hurry up because, you know, uh, AI is able to to generate globs and globs of good code in C++, Python, (laughs) and various other languages. So uh, these jobs that you're going after – uh, are going to become less and less. <laughs> Jerry, the, you know, we've had a couple of conversations on the show about AI and and what it will mean. I'm I'm glad we have the guests we do today to because we haven't talked about that yet. Jessica, what what about things like the pace at which things are developing and the the takeover, I guess, of the space by artificial intelligence? What what implications does that have for uh, the the idea of getting more people involved. Also, uh, talk a little about how important it is that women and people of color have a, a role in shaping this AI so that uh, so that it's a much broader uh, application than than what it is now. Yeah, I think that we are definitely at a point where um, it is important to get into the idea that you know. We need to start educating people around what it means, like the awareness. And um, it's a misconception, you know, from my perspective, that because AI is that is emerging, that that means that, you know, tech, technologists are going to go out of, um, you know, be out of jobs. That's not necessarily true. Um, my bigger concern is that 
so many developers, even existing software engineers, do not understand AI or machine learning as a technology. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, you know, we're not at like, <laughs> this isn't like, um, you know, sentient uh, AI just <laughs> deciding to do things, right? It's still a technology that people need to know how to develop and how to use and also how to take advantage of, right? So instead of thinking about the idea that it's going to be getting rid of us and getting rid of jobs, we should more slowly be thinking about how do we educate our entire world on what the technology is, how to use it, how not to use it even. Because um, right now, yes, AI can definitely generate code for you. And some of it is pretty, you know, solid code. But at the same time, a lot of it is not. And if you are not an experienced software engineer, you can just be randomly using things that, you know, can even be damaging. Um, And there's even some some cybersecurity risks that have been surfaced recently around um, just, you know, using code and things of that nature. So I think it's, um, it's very important, like you said, for the group of people that has access to and develops the technologies to start to diversify um, as quickly as the field is advancing. Um, and I think just for the general public awareness, um, and that's really on us as technologists, is to start to educate the communities on what this technology is, what it is not, um, because there's been a lot of like fear around um, how the technology is being used lately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, Jerry, really appreciate the call and the insight. Let's go next to Levi again in Southfield. He's back with us. Levi, what's on your mind? Well, Stephen, I wanted to uh, tell you that we're setting up a museum to honor Albert Kahn, uh, Detroit's great uh, architect. Mm-hmm. And uh, as part of the museum, we wanted to have uh, 500, 800 square feet uh, totally oriented towards students to expose them to architecture and engineering. And I wanted to know if Jessica would work with us on uh, what we, we should be doing in that area to appeal to students of different ages. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great idea to make sure that that's a super inclusive space, uh, Levi. Uh, Jessica, talk about the, the opportunity at the Albert Kahn Museum and other places where we can make sure that you know kids of color and women, young women, know that this is this is for them too. Definitely. I think, you know, um, there's a lot of history that a lot of people don't know, right, about Blacks in um, in different fields, such as architecture. So, um, first of all, I'm excited to hear that and think it's an amazing initiative and also um, know a lot of different, uh, you know, nonprofits and community groups that do specialize with working with kids as well, who can um, really kind of lean into that type of work. But, um it, I think we said like it's a leaky pipeline, right? But it's it's all different parts in the pipeline that we have to address. It's not just one thing. So um, just thoughtful moments like that where you say, you know what, we're going to not just highlight um, specific parts of this uh, industry, but we're going to make sure that we include different elements that calls back to everyone's historical, you know, contribution to the advancement of the field. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Johnny Turnage and Jessica Vaughn, it was really great to have both of you with us to talk about inclusivity in the tech space. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. When we come back, we are going to keep talking about tech. We're going to hear from a nonprofit founder who works to empower innovation in STEM through the K-12 education system, especially with indigenous students. Also want to continue to hear from you, our listeners, on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number. And you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. We've been talking about how to make tech spaces more inclusive of different people. And we've been specifically discussing how to open these spaces to African Americans and women. But 
Another group often left out is indigenous people. They are often excluded from both tech spaces and those of math and engineering. Only 9% of indigenous households have personal computers, and even fewer have internet access. They make up only 0.4% of the engineering workforce. Now, of course, this is not a terribly large population, but these numbers also are reflective of more insidious trends, those of colonization, colonization, racism, and historical inclusion. But of course, that doesn't have to be the case. Daniel Boyer is a robotics inventor, an educator, and founder of the nonprofit Steam Connection. She's also from Troy, and as an indigenous woman, has been working to get all types of kids interested in science, technology, engineering, and math or STEM fields by making technical education accessible. To talk about all of this, we've got Danielle Boyer here with us. Danielle, welcome to Detroit Today. Bonjour. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So tell us your personal journey to tech as an indigenous woman growing up in Troy. Yeah, so uh, a little bit of context. I'm Ojibwe from the Sioux Tribe, which is in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Mm-hmm. I kind of grew up all over the place. Um, I first got into science and technology through my little sister. Um, it wasn't accessible or affordable to our family. Um, it was hundreds of dollars to be able to participate in a local robotics program. And um, I saw how interested my sister was and didn't know what to do about it. So I um, saw animal puppets one day at Costco, (laughs) and um, I thought of the idea to teach an animal science class for kindergartners, uh, making like science lessons and uh, theming snacks after the animals and stuff like that. And um, I learned a lot in that process. I learned um, don't feed kids, you know, uh, sugar when you're teaching them. (laughs) But I also learned that a lot of education isn't accessible and that a lot of resources aren't available to not only my community, but other communities as well, and that we have to do something about it. So when I got to high school, I joined a robotics team and um, I was really left out. I was really left behind. I got bullied a lot. And so I ended up founding my charity, The Steam Connection, to create resources for girls, especially indigenous girls like me, so that they can learn about STEM in safe spaces. Yeah. Um, uh, Tell us about Steam Connection and some of the things that you're doing through Steam Connection. Yeah. So the Steam Connection, um, we are a youth-run charity and we work to make technical educational resources accessible, um, sustainable, um, available to indigenous students across Turtle Island, which is North America. And um, basically what we do is we design, uh, manufacture and distribute educational robots and we give them away for free to students. Hmm. So we provide um, like basic little uh, RC car type robots. We also make language revitalization robots and um, every single thing um, that we've created, uh, the students love and it's just so exciting. So tell me more about these robots. That's a that's a pretty cool. That's a pretty cool thing to be doing. Yeah, so uh, one of our robots that's actually been funded um, with the support of like MIT Solve and things like that is called Every Kid Gets a Robot or ECHR, the worst acronym ever. (laughs) But uh, we have sent out over 11,000 of these robots for free. And we have even more educators making these robots. They're like little uh, little cars that the students can drive around with their phones. They can assemble, wire, and program them. And they're made out of recycled plastic. Wow. Wow. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We're talking about making the tech space more inclusive. And our guest right now is Daniel Boyer, robotics inventor, educator, and founder of the nonprofit Steam Connection. Let's go to Adelia in Detroit. Adelia, what's on your mind? Yes. Hi. Good morning, everyone. I'm happy that you're discussing the um, minority track of tech. Uh, industry today, mm-hmm. and I, um, <clears throat> I'm, hope, I'm not sure if the African American um, segment of population that you were talking to is listening, but I'm going to extend this information to whomever happens to be in this market who is people of like color. M E D A Meda 
Emerging Leaders Mentorship Program. Google it because I don't have the exact link here, uh-huh. but they can Google this. Capital M, capital E, capital D, capital A. It's a state-level organization, and they mentor um, people of color, African-Americans, professionals, and uh, interested in growing their firms, etc. cetera, hmm. specifically, not so much getting a job. Right. Um, so that was just one thing I wanted to throw at the group because yeah. that tech thing is really important. And the last little bit is that in South Africa, there is a philanthropist who finances black young tech businesses. Yeah. He gave a 23-year-old $3 million, no, $2.3 million startup fund. So they're kind of rolling aggressively ahead of us on many levels. I'm just yeah. thought I'd mention that. Yeah, Adelia. And, um, okay. I, I really appreciate uh, the call and that information. That's That's great for our audience. Thanks so much. For, for calling in. Um, uh, Danielle, I, I, I want to ask you about something that you said, which is that your goal at STEAM Connection is not to create future scientists and engineers. I suspect that what you're getting at there is somewhat related to what Adelia was just saying, which is that this is not just to get people jobs. It is to create interest that, that uh, moves into Ownership and not just ownership of businesses, but ownership of, of the space. But but I'll let you I'll let you explain what you what you mean by that. Yeah, it's about self determination and being mm-hmm. able to stand up for ourselves and create things for ourselves. I'm a firm believer in uh, solutions are great, but I think solutions should be built by the communities that they're for. And so when we equip students with the the skills to be able to do that, to be able to solve the problems that they see around them no matter what that means, whether it means being an inventor, whether it means being a programmer, whether it means being a scientist, I I want students to be empowered to be able to do that. But oftentimes, a lot of that goes very hand in hand with academia, and a lot of students don't have access to that. It's not always the most safe spaces. Um, Indigenous students have the highest dropout rates in North America overall. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of these spaces, they just aren't safe. And so I want students to be able to think, no matter whether I'm on the reservation, like I want to be able to create these resources and I want to be able to learn about them here. What would have been better or different for you as a young person who might have had interest in this, or, or as you say, it was your sister who got you interested? Mm-hmm. What, what could have looked different that would have got you, gotten you more opportunity or gotten you in it, into it sooner? I think uh, role models. In science and technology, I wasn't able to look at anyone and see myself represented. Uh, There weren't a lot of culturally responsive resources. Like Indigenous peoples, we've always been innovators. We've always been scientists. And so we deserve to know that when we're young. We deserve to see examples of the engineering that our ancestors did and to show that we can do it now, you know. I always felt really left out and, and really, like, horrible at school. And I had a very hard time. And so um, that's not something that is just my experience. It's a very common experience for people like me. And so I, especially girls, and so I, I just wanted people who were looking out for me and who could help create a safe space for me. It, it was a really, really hard time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. Uh, Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to the show. Oh, good morning, Stephen. Uh-huh. I just want to... Uh, tell your listeners to take their children, young as possible, to the Michigan Science Center. Yeah, absolutely. Let them begin to explore on their own. They'll do it. Uh, uh, it it's a wonderful place. And uh, for your researchers, they should look at an example of my favorite black female scientist, Hypatia of Alexandria. She lived 16 centuries ago. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Gene, that's a great that's a great piece of advice. That is a really wonderful institution, and it has been for a really long time. I was a kid when that opened, uh, and remember all of the things, the kinds of questions and curiosities that it inspired in me when I first walked through the doors. And of course, my kids, growing up here in Detroit, have had the same uh, experience. Uh, let's go to Terrence in Detroit really quickly. Terrence, I've got about a minute and a half left. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, I hope that's enough time because I'm trying to figure out where should I start. But I guess I'll start 
with where um, what's her name, Dorothy, the, um, the, the indigenous woman. Um, what did she say initially? She initially said that her sister got mm-hmm. her interested, and that's where it, it really all starts. And with your immediate surroundings, if you have nobody that you see in your daily life doing something that interests you, which especially if it's related to science, technology, engineering, and math, then how do you get that interest? And once that interest is peaked, like the other guest person said, who's going to nurture it? Who's going to mentor it? And that's what we need more, more so than anything, especially once they get to some place like Renaissance High, MLK, um, 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 Cass Tech, or whatever school it is. Because by then, a lot of you got to really hold on to the kids because what's happening in is their interest is going other places. But who's going to keep them interest? But if, in our communities, especially in Detroit, in the urban community, a lot of our parents, they, were, they, they worked at the plant. They worked in government. They, they did some labor jobs. Even if they were successful at that, they weren't necessarily in those types of fields, even if they had that, um, the, 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 the STEM interest, no one was nurturing them. So if we could get somebody, if we could start nurturing them, like the other guy just said, take them to the science museum, you know, start doing that early, because today yeah. I'm interested in engineering and stuff like that, but it was never nurtured to me yeah. as a child. As and a just like the woman said, her sister, she saw her, I bet you she was 9 or 10 years old, and was like, <laughs> oh, that's cool, right. let me get into that. Yeah. And, it, and, and it grew, and it grew, and she stayed interest, interested in it. And it, that's why I say it really, really mostly starts what's happening in our community. And what are we seeing is just like, With kids. It's just like it's, it's, yeah, yeah, you're seeing yeah. um, some guy build Terrence, an engine next door and you're in the engine. Yeah, Terrence, I don't want to cut you off, shoulder. but we are we are running out of time. But, but Terrence, you're absolutely right, and I'm really glad uh, you called. That's a great way to end the segment and the show. Okay, uh, Danielle Boyer, it was really wonderful having you here uh, to talk about uh, expanding the tech space and the work that you're doing with Steam Connection. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit today. All right, that's going to do it for us this week. Come back Monday when we're going to talk about what the Republican presidential race means for different conservative pockets here in Southeast Michigan. Also, if you like our show and get something out of being here every day, share it. Share it with your friends, with your relatives, your neighbors, anyone you think would also enjoy it. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.